remind you of a few things before we go on. But first, let's read the first, beginning in verse 7 down through verse 10 of Revelation chapter 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true saints of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he saith unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brother, that have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy now I want to go back for just a minute and bring us up to where we're at because it's important that you can't understand the marriage of the lamb unless you understand how it all took place you go back uh, beginning in chapter 1 of Revelation he makes it very plain that this is a revealing the unscrolling the unrolling of the scroll of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So Revelation, simply, and notice it is not Revelation. There's no S on it. It's Revelation. And it's about one person. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it's about is, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has done for mankind from the past, the present we live in, and the future. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding that God knows the past and the present and the future. We only know now. I mean, I don't know tomorrow. I know a little bit about what happened yesterday, but I don't know everything that happened yesterday. But you got to remember something. God knows everything that happened yesterday. He knows everything that's going to happen right now. And He also, it, the future is already passed to Him. Uh, it's already done. And so when you read the book of Revelation, you've got to take in consideration now each one of these three steps of life. And so uh, beginning in Revelation chapter 1, down through Revelation chapter 4, he's talking about the church age. And he brings us up to the church age. He gives us these seven churches, and seven is complete number. And what he's talking about is the churches of all the ages since the church began in the book of Acts, all the way down through the church age, he's dealing with the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Okay? And, and that doesn't mean the Brandon Fellowship Baptist Church. That means every born-again believer. Uh, since the day of grace, uh, every born-again believer is part of the bride of Christ. I don't care, and I've said this many times, I really believe it, uh, at least most of religious uh, denominations, there is some come out of all of them that truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A Baptist ain't the only one what I'm trying to say is saved. It comes out of all of them. So uh, out of all the denominations, all of all the church system, and remember now, a church is not a building. You can meet in an arbor, you can meet in a a house you can meet anywhere. It says, where one or two are gathered in my name, there I am also. So that's the church. And when you get together and meet as a body of believers, God calls that a church. And so 
uh, down ever since the day of Pentecost. Now, the church, the bride of Christ, has been uh, growing in number and as people get saved. But it's coming a time now that Jesus died on the cross, He was buried and He rose again, and He ascended back to the heavens. So where is Jesus at right now? He's seated, the Bible says, at God the Father on His right hand right now. What's He there for? He's waiting for His bride. He's waiting for His bride to get ready. And when the Bible says here in chapter 19, and it talks about it, and he made her, she made herself ready. And verse 8 said, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And notice he gives the interpretation of that, that fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And, and, and I've, I've tried to explain to people, uh, there's a lot of people say, I ain't never done nothing right, I'm good. No, you're not. You're a sinner. And the only way you can be made righteous you have to be washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the white linen that this bride is clothed in. And so here's a, here's a bunch of believers all over the world that's part of the bride of Christ, and they've been made ready now for their bridegroom. And so you, next you have the marriage of the Lamb. There are seven questions that need to be asked about this marriage of the Lamb. Now, go back for just a minute. And when the church age ends, that means the rapture takes place. Jesus is coming back. And when He comes back, we're going out of here. And then chapter 4 of Revelation talks about He went to heaven. And then the tribulation period, the great tribulation period, begins for seven years. After that, there's a thousand year millennial reign. And after that, uh, God's going to put the devil in hell where he belongs and all those unbelievers are going to be cast in the lake of fire forever and ever. And then we're going to live on forever and ever with the Lord as his bridegroom. Now, so who is this marriage of the Lamb? And who is the, the, the bridegroom? There are seven questions that need to be answered about the marriage of the Lamb. Number one, where and when shall this marriage take place? Where, number one. The marriage takes place in heaven. Now it's in heaven. Okay? Number two, when? After the rapture. And after the judgment of rewards. And before the second coming of Christ to this earth at the revelation or the revealing. Remember now, when Jesus comes back in the rapture, He's coming back as a thief in the night. There'll be saved people, one will be in the bed, I mean two will be in the bed, one taken, one left, and the one left won't even know what happened. But we're going to be raptured out of here with the Lord, those that say. Now, after the rapture of the church, where are we going? We're going to heaven. All right? At that point in time, that's what the Bible speaks of, standing and receiving rewards before. Remember now, Every human being must be judged by God. Every human being. Don't care what age group or in what dispensation of time you live in, you're going to be judged by God. All right. Now, is that judgment uh, to Christians? Is that judgment a place of re, uh, seeing if you got enough good works or bad works, and they, if good works outweigh your bad works, you're invited in to go to heaven? No. Has nothing to do with it. And so what it means is that the saints of God, and keep this in mind now, 
You don't get saved in heaven. Alright? You get saved before you go there, you ain't going there at all. And so that means you have to get saved down here. That's why Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Unsaved, let them have it. Amen? We ain't nothing to do with death. We have somebody present with the Lord. And so now, as we get raptured out, then Jesus has got a judgment seat in the air, and all of the church age, every saved person is going there to stand before that judgment seat of Christ. Alright? During that time, God's going to hand out rewards. That's what that judgment seat is about. It's not about uh, your bad things you've done. It's about your good things you've done. And, and He makes it very plain that there's going to be a lot of shame-faced people there that don't have anything. But they still go to heaven because they don't go to heaven by your works. You go to heaven by the grace of God and through His shed blood. But it also makes it very plain in in 1 Corinthians that your works are going to be tried by fire. That's the judgment seat of Christ. What that means is simply, why do you read your Bible? Why do you go to church? Why do you tithe? Why do you sow win? Is it for somebody to pat you on the back and say, you're a good man of God? No, that's not the reason you do it. You do it for the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Why do I give to the church? Why do I give to the work of the cross? To, for, for, because I love the Lord. Why do I win souls to Christ? Because I love the Lord. And on and on and on. All other reasons will be burned up. And so you got to understand that. At that time, God will give out rewards to those who have been faithful. And not, So I found something in the Bible, the most important thing that a Christian can do in this life is be faithful, period. That's the most important and faithful. Everything God gives you to do, be faithful in it. Amen? Why? Because God rewards you for your faithfulness at that time. Now, watch this, please. Here's the rapture of the church, but the unsaved is still on the earth. During the rapture time, the judgment seat of Christ, for that seven-year period of time, or the tribulation period, the wrath of God is being poured out on this earth down here. Now, at the end of the, the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ, then, and that's when He comes to the thief of the night, then He's coming back to this earth uh, at the end of the tribulation period, and we're going to live on this earth for a thousand years of millennial reign with Christ, where everything will be perfect with God here on this earth. And he said, I will rule with a rod of iron. You know what that simply means? The devil can't win no more. Just that simple. God's in charge now for a thousand years. Now at the end of the thousand years, then he's going to be revealed and he's coming back to this earth. And and during that time, the unsaved will have to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. And that means then... He'll bring you up if you're in hell, or He'll judge you if you're still alive. And by the way, a lot of people say, well, ain't nobody going to be saved in the millennial reign or the tribulation period. Yes, they are. During that seven-year period of time, little children going to be born, and unsaved people are coming to know the Lord during that time. And so they're going to be saved going into the millennium. But during the millennial time, ain't nothing but saved people going into that 
And so where did, who gets saved there? Little children is born to those that go through the tribulation period. And so they'll go for a thousand years. Think about it. How many children can be born in a thousand years? But they're going to have to have, make their own choice for God or reject Him. And so as they grow up, uh, they're going to have to be taught to the Word of God. And the Bible says some will reject Him and some will receive Him. At the end, though, is a great white throne judgment. And all unsaved people will stand there and say, give account of your works. Remember, Christians at the judgment seat of Christ, they give an account of their works. That's what it's about. Not for your salvation, for your works. Alright? That's already determined before you get to your salvation. Alright? When you come back to the judgment seat of the great white throne, that's already determined. Where you going to hell? It's already determined. What are you standing there for then? To, for the degrees of punishment in hell. And God's going to give out to those exactly what they deserve and cast them right back in the lake of fire. Now, during that time, at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, aren't you watchers? After the rapture, when is it going to take place? After the judgment of rewards with Christ. After the second coming of Christ to this earth, at the revelation, who will perform this wedding? Only God, the Father Himself, could do it. But the Scripture doesn't exactly say it. Who gives the bride away? No one. According to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 27, Jesus presents his, his bride to Himself. Nobody else got that authority. Only Jesus has. Who is the bridegroom? John the Baptist leaves no doubt about who is the bridegroom. Turn over with me now to John. Uh, chapter 3 for a minute. In John chapter 3, and uh, look at verse 29. John chapter 3, and verse 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John says, There's one coming after me is greater than me. And he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So John, in verse 27, answers said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye shall bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that had the bride is the bridegroom. So, uh, who is the bridegroom? John makes it very clear. Then in Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 through 4, it is also clear the marriage of the king's son. Remember, in Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14, they sent the king sent out for, for the marriage supper of his son and brought those in. Now watch this, please. The bridegroom is Christ. No doubt about it. The bridegroom is a crowd. Is Christ Himself uh, the marriage, the King's Son, who is the bride? Some claim that the bride is Israel, because she is called wife in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Go back now with me for just a second to Revelation uh, chapter 19. 
Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. Well, wait a minute now. Watch this. So, because she's called wife, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, and because in the Old Testament God calls Himself the husband of Israel. Isaiah 54, verse 5. But there are two brides mentioned in the Scripture. Uh, one is in the Old Testament. One is in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament is the bride of Jehovah, which is Israel. The one in the New Testament is the bride of Christ, which is the church. Now, I don't have time to go through everything about that, but I want you to watch some. Isaiah 54, verses 5 through 8, is said of Israel, The Maker, thy Maker, is thy husband. But, according to verses like Jeremiah 3, uh, Ezekiel 16, Hosea 2, Hosea 3, because of her whoredoms, Israel is cast off as a wife. But God, her husband, promises to take her back when she ceases from her adulteries. Now, that's, that is religious adulteries. In other words, God chose Israel, and God was their God. But when they rejected Him and they played the whoredom with another God, other gods, God cast them off as His wife. Now, Israel will not take back, and will not be taken back as a virgin, but a wife. It is a virgin that the Lamb, or Christ, is to marry. So the wife Israel of the Old Testament cannot be the bride, virgin, of the New Testament. Now, notice too, as you read these verses of Scripture, the wife Israel is to live in the earthly Jerusalem during the millennium. But the bride, the church, will live in the new Jerusalem during the millennium in the air. Now remember also John in the Revelation did not call the bride wife until after Revelation 21 in verse 9, which is after the marriage. Then she is no longer bride, but wife. So Israel cannot be the bride of Christ. Many believe that the bride is composed of all saints from Abel down to taken out of the church. But this is not true also because the church did not exist until the day of Pentecost. So the question is, who makes up the bride? It is all born-again believers, all blood-washed people from Acts chapter 2 until 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. Now watch this, which says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, that's the rapture, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Acts chapter 2 marks the beginning of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17 marks the termination of the church on the earth. Now, it is not just Baptist, it's not just Church of God and so on, but all believers between the time period are the dispensation of grace. Now, there's four and twenty elders represents the redeemed of the church uh, seen in heaven immediately after the rapture according to Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 through 4. Now you take that with uh, chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 
which is meant by her making herself ready. Now, the question number four is, what is meant by her making herself ready? Verse 7. She has made herself ready. Verse 8. She is permitted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, which is the righteousness of saints. Revelation 21, verse 2. She is described as prepared as a bride adorned for her. The fine linen that the bride is uh, clothed in here is the righteousness of Christ. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we've got songs like when we see when he sees the blood and it talks about uh, the blood of Christ. That's the reason you cannot take the blood out of salvation. If you take the blood out of salvation, you're not washed from your sins and therefore you can't be the bride of Christ. Now notice the difference between these wedding garments and those of the harlot woman of Antichrist. Hers will be purple and scarlet colored where we studied last week and jeweled adorned. Yet the bride of Christ, the Lamb of God, He is dressed in spotless white robes of fine linen. Now, what is the marriage supper? It's not the wedding itself. The marriage feast is the supper that follows after the marriage. Now, what an honor then to be invited to this supper. There has never been one like it and there will be. There's, this is not the supper, Revelation 19, verse 17 through 18. This is where the fowls of the air are invited to gather themselves together under the supper of the great God that they may eat the flesh. That's unsaved. But question number six, who are the saints? Who are the guests? They're not the bride. The bride has a place of her own. We do know that there will be guests at the wedding. The guests will be the Old Testament saints such as Abel, Seth, and so on. And David and the prophets and John the Baptist. Also the blood-washed multitude that comes out of the tribulation after the church has been caught out. All the righteous of all the ages who shall be worthy, who are not included in the church, will be the guests then. Angels will be spectators because they have not been washed by the blood of Christ. God made them righteous. Now, notice question number seven. What happens after the marriage supper? Christ's lamb, the bridegroom, will take the bride back to where she was born, the earth. He will show himself to his kinmen, the Jews' earthly people, that he is what he said he was, the Son of God. He will then set up his earthly kingdom, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of David, and his bride, the church, shall reign with him a thousand years. Now after the honeymoon of the earth, the bridegroom and bride will return to the Father's house. Then after the earth is has been baptized by fire and renovated, they will return with the descent of the holy city, New Jerusalem, to dwell on earth forever and ever. So John uh, is so excited in hearing and seeing this sight, he fell at the angel's feet. But the angel says, Worship God, because the prof- all prophecy testifies of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go through the Bible... The Bible is full of prophecy. 
That's prophesying things that hadn't been shown before. And all it's doing is showing us the Lord Jesus Christ. All about His past, His present, and His future. And if you'll do this, if you'll take the Bible, and every time you read the Bible, look for Jesus on every page. Every page. If He's talking about a temple, it has something to do with the Lord. If it's talking about a blood sacrifice of animals and goats, it has something to do about the Lord. And, and on and on and on, all the way through the Scriptures, it has something to do about the Lord. So what I do every time I pick up the Bible, I begin to say, now this has something to do with salvation. What is it? And I begin to study to make sure I understand Jesus is in it. He's there someplace. And I never will forget the first time that I ever read John 3.16. I'm going to show you something and I'll quit. John 3.16, I have to uh, show it to you because uh, let's go back there for just a minute. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I read that, and then I heard a man say, always read after a verse if you want to understand it, and before a verse if you want to understand it. So I went back, and I come to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So I went back, and in a, a Numbers chapter 21, verse 8, speaks of the children of God, uh, the Israelites, being out there in the wilderness, and they were sinning against God, and God sent poisonous serpents to bite them and kill them. And God and Moses prayed for the people, and God told Moses to take a brazen serpent, a brazen stick, a brazen uh, thing, and, and put a, a serpent on it. And the Bible says that whosoever looks at that serpent shall not die. And I went through that and I said, now think about that for a minute. Over two million Jews out there and they're dying everywhere from being bitten by poisonous, whatever it was. And God said, just look. Can you imagine some of them come along just like they do today and you say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? It can't be that easy. There's got to be something else to it. And they don't look. The Bible said they died. Okay? I couldn't understand that until I come to verse 15. That whosoever believeth in Him, that is, Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. Same principle. So what is the serpent out there in the wilderness representing? The Lord Jesus. Whosoever shall look to the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Anybody that's dying of that poison of, and that poison of that serpent that bit them was a type of sin. Sin is poison. And it kills us. All right? Spiritually just as it was killing them physically. And all I had to do is look, and many did not look, and many died. So, it's the same way today. If we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved by God's grace. And those are the bride of Christ. And I'm looking forward to that grace. Can you imagine? As a pastor, I've had some of the greatest privileges of performing weddings. I kid a lot about I just about soon to do a funeral I had a wedding but I'm just joking 
because I enjoy doing weddings because it's such a happy occasion. And I've never been to one yet, never had one yet, that was not a happy occasion. They had everything just right. I mean, they got to have the flowers just right. they got to have the food just right. Everybody comes, sits, and they're just waiting for anticipation to see the bride coming down the aisle and Him all dressed up, waiting on her with that great anticipation. And that's my beautiful thing coming down the aisle and she's coming to me. Think about that for just a minute. Jesus Christ, you can't even describe what He's thinking about. Finally, He gets His bride. Amen. What a day. And we're going to be there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're excited about that great day. As we go through this great book of Revelation, and we see how You deal with us and Your church, and then how You lift us out and You deal with Israel, Your beloved nation. And then, Lord, You take up in Revelation chapter 19, back with dealing with Your bride and that wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're looking forward to that great day. Bless Your people until that time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank You so much. I'm coming. I'm slow and easy. I'm coming. See that?